0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Where Was This in History Class? The title of today's episode is Columbus, Hero or Villain? So I'm going to need you to grab your security blankets and buckle up, because we're about to shake up your understanding of Christopher Columbus. You're about to learn that some of your teachers may have left out a few things when they covered the history of Christopher Columbus. So we're going to break this episode into four parts. Each part was inspired by a myth of Columbus that appears to be widely held today. And it is because of this idea that I think it's a, uh time that we basically start to work on setting the record straight. So part one, we're going to refer to part one as why did Europe come to dominate the world? There's a misconception that Europeans magically or in some way were fulfilling their destiny when they left Europe and come to dominate the the rest of the world, which included Asia, Africa, Australia, as well as North and South America. However, this is a very dangerous misconception, because like I said, it implies that there's some sort of destiny that Europeans were trying to fulfill. And unfortunately, that's just not the case. The reality is, most historians will agree that there are six reasons why Europeans came to dominate the world. So we're going to discuss each of those reasons in this first part. So let's begin. So reason number one, Professor James Lowen tells us that Europeans began to develop more advanced military equipment around the 1400s. This included guns, cannons, and various steel weapons. Europeans began to use these weapons against each other, which created an incredibly fierce uh, level of competition, which we're going to refer to as an arms race. Uh, One country essentially would develop a weapon, and then another country would have to develop what we call a shield, which would then be able to block the original first weapon. And that, ladies and gentlemen is how you get an arms race. Think of cell phones today. Apple develops a phone and then Samsung's version is produced uh, in an attempt to kind of combat what Apple has produced. And this goes back and forth and back and forth in hopes that one company will essentially dominate the other. So first reason, arms race. Number two, Professor Lowen's going to argue that another reason for Europe's success during the 1400s was the development of different tools that would be used by societies and governments to further advance their goals. Examples of this include better bookkeeping or accounting, uh, a more efficient government bureaucracy, and the invention of the printing press. These inventions would help governments run empires, which could cover thousands of miles during the 1400s and 1500s. As we've uh, we already talked about the printing press in our previous episode on the scientific revolution, but as we've talked about, there was a, essentially a, a thirst for knowledge And when Columbus returns back from his travels, his stories, his journal, is going to become a bestseller. And this is going to further increase the desire for others to follow in his footsteps and explore these quote-unquote new worlds. So this brings us to reason number three. The third reason for European dominance was money, money, money. The desire to accumulate as much wealth, as much gold, and as much silver as possible um, before one dies. Columbus once stated... Quote, gold is most excellent. Gold constitutes treasure, and he who has it does all he wants in the world and can even lift souls up from paradise. End quote. Columbus, however, is not unique here. All right, Europeans, at least those that could, attempted to change their lives through the accumulation of wealth. However, if some of you believe that Columbus was going on these voyages out of the goodness of his own heart, you're about to be sadly mistaken. Michel de Cuneo, who traveled with Columbus on his 1494 voyage to the New World, describes Columbus's motivations when he wrote, quote, after we had rested for several days in our settlement, it seemed to the Lord Admiral that it was time to put to execution his desire to search for gold, which was the main reason he had started on so great a voyage full of so many dangers, end quote. So this brings us to reason number four. <clears throat> for... Uh, the domination of, of Europeans uh, throughout the world. All right, we could basically add to this this growing list the what we call a crusading spirit or the desire to spread one's religion. In other words, as an explorer, into, in addition to uh, to kicking butt, taking names, and making money, you're also supposed to spread Christianity to as many natives as you could. So at this point, you're probably asking yourself, but wait a second, didn't Native American people already have their own religion? Well, ladies and gentlemen. You would be correct, but that didn't seem to stop explorers from ignoring that fact and in many cases, forcing Christianity down the throats of Native Americans and other populations throughout the world. What one needs to remember here is that the uh, the last crusade, not the Indiana Jones movie, although huge fan, but the final Christian crusade. This is known as the Reconquista. The Reconquista, or last crusade that's going to occur in Europe, ends in 1492. The Reconquista was essentially the longest crusade in history where the Christians of Spain fought for lands uh, in Europe against uh, the Muslim kingdoms that held those lands in what is today modern-day Portugal and Spain. This crusade lasted over 700 years before Christian forces were victorious, and as a display of their power, they are going to kick out every single Muslim and Jewish person who lived in the former Iberian Peninsula, or today, modern-day Portugal and Spain. All right, so this brings us to reason number five. So now we are going to begin to, uh, to kind of take this love between nations and religions. I'm just kidding. It's, there's, there's very little love in, uh, between these nations and these religions. But uh, let's just discuss reason number five, no matter what. So the reaction to Columbus's 1492 voyage is unlike anything that Europe has seen before. As we will find out later, Columbus was not the first person to discover the Americas. He's not even close to the first person to discover the Americas. The first Europeans to make their way to North America were the Norse or the Vikings all right uh, as as some of you may already know them however during the during this time the Norse they don't have a printing press okay the printing press has not been invented yet so therefore they have no way to spread the news of their adventure and so their stories are told through basically these oral stories that are told around campfires from generation to generation and essentially they they spread um like I said, from generation to generation, but they become almost like myths and legends rather than um, fact that you would accept as history. So it's not until uh, uh, archaeologists are able to prove that the Norse landed in modern-day Newfoundland, which is today part of Canada. And finally, this brings us to reason number six. Authors such as Professor Lowen in his book, Lies My Teacher Told Me, and Jared Diamond in his book, Guns, Germs, and Steel, they both discuss diseases as a major factor in European dominance over large parts of the globe. European diseases like smallpox were devastating to populations that had no experience with the disease, and therefore they had no immunity. We don't have time to go into all the research here, but according to the accepted theory, the ancestors of Native Americans essentially crossed what is known as the Bering Land Bridge, which today would connect Russia and Alaska. However, it is underwater, but during the last ice age, it was exposed. So this is more than 10,000 years ago. And as they're walking from Russia to what is today Alaska, they're essentially walking through a giant freezer during this last ice age. This meant that the weaker members of the tribe, as well as many of the nasty diseases, which essentially prefer a warmer climate, they can't survive, and therefore were not passed on to future generations of what would become Native Americans. So it is possible that the cold weather of the ice age acted as a giant sanitizing freezer, preventing Native Americans from experiencing the deadly diseases which ravaged Europe. But to summarize this history, all right, we also have to acknowledge that Europeans at this time of, uh, of Columbus are essentially nasty, disgusting. Like, uh, think middle school boys' locker room multiplied by 10, all right, kind of nasty. No amount of body spray or cheap cologne is covering up what these people smelled like. And part of that is because the average European during this time period did not bathe nearly as often as I would recommend. Um, yes, my students, I am talking to you. Please bathe regularly. Now, so think about um, – Think about like the the Black Death, where 50% of Europe's population was wiped out. Yes, devastating disease, but at the same time, it is not helped by the lack of sanitation and the lack of bathing that that Europeans um, had during this time period. All right, so we're going to fast forward to 1492. And uh, essentially, we're going to discuss that Native American tribes, they're going to come in contact with these diseases, which have had a 10,000 year head start in terms of evolution. And essentially, these uh, diseases have become really effective human killing machines. So when you combine that, that fact with the dirty and unsanitary practices of most Europeans, all right, this creates the perfect storm of, of diseases and bacteria and whatnot that the Native Americans just simply cannot escape. Some historians believe that these diseases are the final piece of the puzzle that helps explain how Europeans came to dominate most of the world, but especially North and South America. These diseases were basically biological weapons unlike anything the world had seen before. Okay. So, uh, now we've completed part one of today's episode. We have to, uh, we have acknowledged a major myth about Columbus and we've explained the actual reasons for European domination. This is important because if we don't acknowledge the reasons why Europe came to dominate most of the world, then we are only adding to the myth that Europe was meant to dominate the world. All right. So we need to understand why. However, you now know the reasons why Europeans came to dominate. As, as you can see, it was definitely more complicated than you may have originally been taught. So let us begin part two. Part two, we're gonna call part uh, we're gonna to refer to part two as Columbus did not discover America. Let me say that again. Columbus did not discover America. To be clear, Native Americans had lived in North and South America for thousands of years. And to say that someone comes along and discovers something is simply ridiculous. Now, we don't have time to go into all the possible theories of the dozens of explorers who have found their way to North and South America, but let's just say that there are a number of theories that cover uh, a number of explorers from all over the world, and we're talking centuries possibly before Columbus ever came to, quote unquote, the New World. So do yourself a favor and perform a quick search about these various groups who may have discovered these continents before Columbus, and I think you're going to be shocked with the number of explorers and their locations from where they came from. I think you're going to be absolutely blown away with uh, with what you find. So then if Columbus doesn't deserve credit, which Europeans do deserve the credit? The answer you're looking for is the Norse or the Vikings, as some of you might know them. So quick little bit of uh, trivia. The Vikings, or Norse, did not actually wear helmets with horns. Just a little bit of, of a fun fact there for you. Many uh, historians, though, have settled on the belief that around 1000 A.D., Four Or 492 years before Columbus actually set sail, see, I can do math, the Norse or Vikings landed in Newfoundland, or more generally, Canada. So you could say historians are all a boot correcting people when it comes to uh, the first uh, people to discover North America, all right? So uh, there's some uh, Canada or Canadian humor for you there to lighten the mood. So as we discussed earlier, the Vikings don't get credit because they lack the printing press. Think of the guy at the gym, all right? You're looking across the gym and there's this guy who's snapping pictures of himself as he's working out. And then he turns to you and he says to you, listen, bro, if you don't post the workout, it didn't happen. All right? So, I mean, solid logic, Swole Squad. But in all seriousness, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but uh, the guy who's working out and he's posting all the time, he's kind of got a point here. If there is no way to spread your message, then the story of your success can evaporate, just like my chances of becoming an NBA all-star or marrying Taylor Swift. It is this fact that makes Columbus's story the one that we acknowledge. But as Professor Lowen points out, we don't acknowledge Columbus because he was the first to discover the new world. We acknowledge his story because he was the last one to discover the new world. After him, the story is printed. And the first form of mass, uh, or I guess you would call social media, and it creates a frenzy of explorers and all of the effects that came along with it. All right, so it is the printing press that is the game changer. If the Vikings had the printing press, maybe this is a different story. But they didn't, so we're talking about Columbus. So to make sure that we're all on the same page, the Norse or Vikings are generally accepted as the first Europeans to land in North America, or quote-unquote the New World, but they were not able to let as many people know that they had landed in the New World as Columbus did. Anytime I hear the, the, the word New World or phrase New World, it makes me think of the song in uh, Aladdin, A Whole New World, except that the fantastic view that everyone is talking about is of someone else's land, and the people in the song are indeed telling you to stop dreaming of taking their stuff. But let's get back on track. A more accurate description of Columbus's voyages would be to say that Columbus essentially ran into two continents. But in all fairness, the Old World, which consisted of Europe, Africa, and Asia, They were unaware of these two continents, so I will give Columbus that. In fact, Columbus was extremely lucky that he ran into these continents because his math was way off, as we're going to discuss later on. And if he does not make it to land when he did, Columbus and his crew would have died at sea from a lack of supplies. In addition, Columbus did not set foot on what is today the United States of America, as some people incorrectly believe. Many Americans believe that Columbus actually set foot on American soil in 1492, but this just simply is not the case. Rather, Columbus's voyages were primarily focused on what is today the Caribbean Sea, the eastern coast of Mexico, and modern-day Venezuela. And last time I checked, none of these locations are part of the United States. But you wouldn't know that when you read the original joint resolution of Congress, which requested the president to proclaim October 12th as Columbus Day for the observance of the anniversary of the discovery of America. Part of that, revolution, uh, part of that resolution states, and I'm quoting here, that the President of the United States is authorized and requested to issue a proclamation designating October 12th of each year as Columbus Day and calling upon officials of the government to display the flag of the United States on all government buildings on said date and inviting the people of the United States to observe the day in schools and churches or other suitable places with appropriate ceremonies expressive of the public sentiment befitting the anniversary of the discovery of America, end quote. So you're probably starting to formulate your opinions here, which is good. All right. So we're going to move on to part three. So part three is another statement that I'm going to make. Columbus did not prove that the earth was round. Okay. So Columbus does not prove that the earth was round. And people during Columbus's time did not believe that the earth was flat. Unlike some modern people living in the 21st century. We meet again, flat earthers. We meet again. But we need um, we need to put this uh, this myth to bed once and for all. I learned this as a, as a student when I was young, younger. All right. So I just want you guys to understand that this is uh, this is something that we need to kind of put away. Since the time of the Greeks, most educated people were aware that the Earth was round. Okay. So so where does Columbus fit into all this? Well, as I mentioned earlier, Columbus's math regarding the distance around the Earth is way off. He's something like twenty percent off in terms of his math. So. Since the, times, uh, since the time of the Greeks and the Romans, their circumf- uh, circumference or distance around the earth was known to be almost 25,000 miles. So this is why you need to pay attention to math class, kids, or at least be willing to admit when you're wrong. Because Columbus shows up and he's all like, listen, I've done my own calculations and the circumference of the earth is only 20,000 miles. Well, this may not seem like a big deal, but when, when you're carrying all of your own food and your own water and you can't stop at the nearest superwawa, then an extra 5,000 miles Is huge. So to put this in more relevant terms, let's say you live in New Jersey and your parents tell you you're going to Disney World. Like You're all like, yes, Magic Kingdom, baby. Let's go see the mouse. All right, but there's a catch. Your parents have miscalculated the distance from New Jersey to Disney World and they're off by, let's say, 20%. So I did the math here and 20% taken off of your trip would put you in Georgia. Now, I'm not talking smack on Georgia. I'm sure there's lots of good people in Georgia. But if my parents came up to me and said, hey, we're going to see Mickey freaking Mouse and I get to a rest stop in Georgia instead because they miscalculated, I think I'm going to be a little upset, all right? But in Columbus's time, it's literally life or death, all right? You're off by 20%. You may not make it home, all right? So back to Columbus. Columbus's idea is that he can sail west to Asia and get in on that uh, that sweet, sweet spice trade and other forms of wealth that the all these other countries are, are uh, basically sailing back to Europe with. Portugal, who is uh, Spain's main rival at the time, they're going to maintain control of the eastern route to Asia, and they jealously guarded this path in an attempt to create a monopoly, essentially forcing countries to buy Asian goods uh, solely from Portugal. So Spain wants access to Asia. They want access to these goods, but they want an easier way than trying to kind of struggle with Portugal, who's already controlling the the one major route. So the King and Queen of Spain, um, they meet this persistent and probably annoying individual known as Christopher Columbus. All right. They give him the three ships because he's basically badgered them to death and requested time after time after time. And essentially they've just won this great war known as the Reconquista. They're feeling pretty good about it. So they give him these three ships. They're pretty small for their time period. All right. And they allow him to travel west. Now, Columbus will eventually hit land, but again, the land that he hits is not the United States of America, all right? In fact, Columbus believes that he has made it to Asia, and will end up believing that to his, to, until he, he, uh, he essentially dies. This shouldn't take away from the fact that Columbus was willing to get on a ship and sail into the unknown in hopes that his theory was correct. However, we can say that Columbus did have, uh, he did have some guts all right, for an explorer, while we can also admit that his math was wrong, that the world was round. And he never landed at his intended target. It, it is okay to, to say those two things, which uh, will now bring us to part four. All right. So Columbus uh, is definitely not innocent. And that's going to be the title for part four. So Columbus is definitely not innocent. I recently read a modern author who claimed that Columbus set sail in hopes of making friends with the natives that he once met. And um, once he arrived in the world, he treated them well. So this author claims that basically Columbus sets sail for the New World and makes friends with all the Native Americans that he meets. So I have a huge issue with this statement, um, and I'm trying to figure out where do I begin with this. So to this author, I would say that it might be time that he reanalyzes the documents that he is using that led him to uh, such a bold statement. So when Columbus and other Spanish explorers arrived in the New World, they would read aloud a document to the Native Americans called The Requirement. This document, which was read in Spanish to Native Americans who did not speak Spanish, basically told the Native Americans that their land now belonged to the King of Spain and that they needed to embrace the church. We're going to go more into the requirement right after we hear from a word from our sponsors. Welcome back to Where Was This in History Class? When we left off, we were discussing the requirement. This was the document that Uh, essentially had to be read by Spanish explorers whenever they discovered a a, a new place or, quote-unquote, discovered a new location that they were about to make theirs. So this document had to be read aloud in Spanish to Native Americans, uh, who, by the way, didn't speak Spanish. And essentially what they were being told was that this land of theirs now belonged to the King of Spain, and that in addition to that, they also needed to embrace the Catholic Church. So Professor Lowen provides us with an example of the requirement, quote, I implore you to recognize the church as a lady and in the name of the Pope, take the king as Lord of this land and obey his mandates. If you do not, I tell you that with the help of God, I will enter powerfully against you all. I will make war everywhere and every way that I can. I will subject you to the yoke and obedience to the church and to his majesty. I will take your women and children and make them slaves. The, de- the deaths and injuries that you will receive from here on will be your own fault, and not that of His Majesty, nor of the gentlemen that accompany me. end quote. so that that requirement once again, is read aloud in Spanish to Native Americans who do not speak Spanish. So I've thought about this and what it must have been like to be a member of the Native American tribe that this is being read to. And um, you know, what I keep coming back to is that the only way that we could ever experience this would be to, To compare this to like uh, aliens landing on Earth right now and all of a sudden speaking to us in a foreign language that we have no idea what it is, how to translate it, and then all of a sudden coming to find out later on that basically what they just told us was that they're more advanced than us and that they're about to take over our land and that they're going to kill most of us if we don't comply – And what makes it worse is that we find out that there's no Captain Stephen Hiller or President Whitmore to save us. Yeah, that's right. I just made an Independence Day reference in a podcast episode about Columbus. You said it couldn't be done. It's been done. All right, but in all seriousness, moving on. On October 13th, 1492, the day after his first landing, Columbus is gonna record these ominous words about the Native Americans that he met. Quote, I could conquer the whole of them with 50 men and govern them govern them as I pleased. End quote. So as we can see, Columbus is thinking about the domination of these people that he's met less than 24 hours earlier. Then to cap off his first voyage, Columbus is going to kidnap approximately 25 Native Americans and sail them back to Spain. But unfortunately, less than 10 of those kidnapped Native Americans are going to survive the journey. But their presence in Spain is going to lead to an an incredible amount of curiosity about the new world. And if anyone needs Any further proof of Columbus's intentions, you need to look no further. All right, than the details of his second voyage. On his second voyage, Professor Lowen tells us that Columbus sails with seventeen. Let me let me state. Let me quote this here: that he sails with quote seventeen ships, twelve hundred men, cannons, crossbows, guns, cavalry, and attack dogs. End quote. The Native Americans essentially never stood a chance. To quote historian Howard Zinn: in two years through murder, mutilation, or suicide, half of the 250,000 Indians on Haiti were dead. End quote. So now some of you may be saying, but you're, you know, know, listen, this episode is judging Columbus by 21st century standards. And to be fair, you might have a point, but that's before we bring in critics of Columbus during his own time period, all right? So what we're going to do now is we're going to focus on some people who criticized Columbus for his actions during his own time period in the late 1400s and the the early 1500s. So there, there is no greater critic of Columbus during this time period than the Spanish priest and historian known as Bartolome de las Casas. Las Casas lived during Columbus's time period, and he visited the colonies that Columbus established, uh, Las Casas re- uh, refers to Columbus in, in a particular letter, and he refers to him as the admiral, and he states, quote, the admiral, it is true, was blind to those who came after him, and he was so anxious to please the king that he committed irreparable crimes against the Indians, end quote. The evidence the evidence that uh, Las Casas provides is pretty damning, and it's hard to argue with someone who is judging Columbus's actions by the accepted norms of their own day. I encourage you to continue researching Columbus and to use the sources of Lacasas to see that there were people during the fifteen hundreds who did not agree with the mass murder of Native Americans, as um, you know some historians have pointed to the idea that that Columbus was doing what was socially acceptable during his, during his time period. But my argument would then be: so then, how can someone like Lacasas Las Casas um, create such such damning evidence against him if it was accepted by so many people? Um, So in addition to this, one of the most damning pieces of evidence for me is a quote by Las Casas, where he refers to his arrival on Hispaniola. Las Casas states, there were 60,000 people living on this island, including the Indians. So that from 1494 to 1508, over 3 million people had perished from war, slavery, and the mines. Who in future generations will believe this? I, myself, writing it as a knowledgeable eyewitness can hardly believe it, end quote. Even if Las Casas is um, often, in his estimation, let's say he's he's inflated a little bit, All right, there would still be hundreds of thousands of people or Native Americans that were killed by the brutality of the Spanish. And at what point can we admit that Columbus, even when judged by those who were living during his own time period, was seen as harsh and cruel um, in terms of his governance over, over these islands? All right. So at some point, I think we do have to acknowledge that Las Casas is, is, is making great points and providing a ton of evidence that we can use um, in our case, uh, I don't want to say to go against Columbus, but to definitely study Columbus. We, we, it provides more light, if you will. So this brings us to our conclusion and the final thoughts about Columbus. To me, Columbus is a complicated and often contradictory figure. I admire his bravery to, sail, to uh, set sail across an unknown ocean because I know that I don't possess that sense of adventure. At the same time, I can't ignore his poor calculations and his misconception of the size of the earth. I admire his persistence in following his dreams, but I can't ignore that those dreams led to the destruction of hundreds of thousands, if not millions of people. I also can't ignore that he never set foot on American soil. So for me, Columbus may have... uh, Represented the heroic characteristics that previous generations looked to in historical figures. However, the history of Columbus's voyages and the evidence before us must be weighed against our values that we today um, apply to our society. And we must determine for ourselves if Columbus is the historical figure that best represents our nation today. Therefore, I will leave you with a series of questions to consider, just like I did in the last episode. Number one, was Columbus a hero? or a villain? Number two, should the United States of America continue to observe Columbus Day? Number three, is the age of exploration an accurate title for this time period in history? With that being said, I will leave you with a quote by Martin Luther King Jr., which is appropriate given that we have just observed the holiday and the fact that many of his quotes will always be relevant throughout time. As Martin Luther King Jr. once said, History will have to record that the greatest tragedy of this period of social transition was not the strident clamor of the bad people, but the appalling silence of the good people. So thank you again for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please like and uh, subscribe to Where Was This in History class. Please share with your friends, family, and uh, maybe just some local history buffs that you know. But uh, obviously stay away from strangers. All right, I'm not asking you to go out of your way to... to to share this with someone you don't know, all right, unless they they appear friendly. All right. Thank you again in all seriousness for lis- listening, and uh, please like and subscribe. Have a great day.